And go in your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter 14 of the book of Joshua. And we're also going to read uh, Numbers. We'll start at Numbers, Numbers chapter 14 also in verse 24. Vamos a comenzar esta noche, regresar esta noche a Josué, capítulo 14. Pero primero vamos a leer Números, capítulo 14, verso 24. Numbers 14, 24, and then Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. We've been talking about the Joshua generation. Hemos estado hablando de la generación de Josué. The Joshua generation is the generation that possesses the promised land. La generación de Josué es la generación que posee la tierra prometida. And a huge part of uh, the Joshua generation is a man named Caleb. And so tonight I want us to uh, look at Caleb for a few minutes and to see uh, the lessons that we can take from his life that are, are, I believe, instantly applicable to our life today. Uh, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24 it reads, But my servant Caleb because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. I want you to notice a few things. If you have it open, you have a Bible or a pen in your hand, just underline my servant and then underline different spirit. These are God's uh, words through the prophet Moses, and he's giving testimony about Caleb. He says, my servant, Caleb. How many of you want to be known as a faithful servant? He has a different spirit. We're going to talk about that tonight. And then underline there, followed me fully. Three uh, parts of the recipe for success is right there. Tres partes de la receta para el éxito están aquí. Números 14, 24. Mi siervo, Caleb, tiene un espíritu diferente porque me ha seguido completamente. Y yo le daré posesión de toda la tierra. Now, Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. Ahora, Josué capítulo 14 y el verso 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Hephnel, the Kensonite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. What word is he referring to? He's referring to Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, which we just read. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord your God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time which the Lord spoke this word to Moses, 
when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the days of Moses, and my strength was then, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and for coming in. And then give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there and with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. We are so blessed to be in the Father's house. And we thank you for bringing us uh, to hear your word. We pray tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might hear the word with faith and receive it into their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question tonight. Where is or what is the next mountain that you are going to take for the glory of God? Esta noche te quiero preguntar, ¿cuál es la próxima montaña que vas a tomar para la gloria de Dios? God has called us to be a mountain-moving people. Say amen, somebody. Dios nos ha llamado a ser un pueblo que toma montañas. And so, uh, if you're walking with the Lord, the Bible says you will go from glory to glory. Cuando usted va caminando con el Señor... Usted va de gloria en gloria. That means God takes you in an upward path toward greater things. Dios lo lleva en una senda hacia arriba, hacia cosas más grandes. And if you don't have in your mind, in your heart, the next conquest that God has for you and that God wants you to obtain, then I want to challenge you tonight to get in the prayer closet and let God give you a vision of what he wants to do next in your life. Somebody say next. How many of you know what's next? You have already a picture, an idea of what's next in your life. Raise your hand if, if you know. All right, there's a few of you. How many of you are still kind of figuring it out? All right, well, there should always be a next for the believer. Uh, most of the time, uh, we are going along, and unfortunately, as I have shared with you before, we just kind of Go through life, and whatever happens, happens, and whatever comes, comes. But God wants us to be a people that possess the land that he's promised to us. And so Caleb is a good example of, of that for us, and he's a good place for us to study tonight because being a part of the Joshua generation, the generation that possesses the promises of God, means that, first of all, we have to be willing to show up. Say, show up. You have to be willing to show up and to do your part to see greater things come into your life. Look at what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, it is good for me, for you that I go because I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you to do God's will. Now, the Holy Spirit ain't going to do anything for you. He's going to help you do God's will. And so if you're not doing anything, he has nothing to help you with. You've got to be about the Father's business so that the Holy Spirit can help you to do the work that he has uh, called you and designed for you to do. 
And then Jesus made this other statement, and he said, greater works than the works I've done, you will do because I go to my Father. So now Jesus tells us that you're going to have the help of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have the ability to do greater things than he had done, and that means greater things than you've done so far because Jesus tonight is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Now, let me tell you, you cannot have a better team than the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Say amen, somebody. You have the Holy Spirit here with you on the earth who is, uh, who is empowering you to do the will of God. And then you have Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father in the throne room of heaven vouching for you and me when we pray and believe in Jesus' name. That is a recipe for success in the Christian life. And so tonight, I want you to be uh, thinking about what is the mountain that God has for me to conquer, that God has for me to take possession of. Now, what is it that is standing between me and the place that God wants to give uh, into my life and into my family? Listen, some of you uh, might be facing a mountain of financial need. Some of you may be facing a, a mountain of addiction. Some of you may be facing a mountain of, uh, of relationship issues. Some of you may be, may, may be facing uh, uh, an opportunity to go to a new level in your life, a new level in your ministry. Can I tell you that every one of those mountains will be intimidating? When you look at anything God has called you to do, it's going to be scary and intimidating. And if it's not scary, and if it doesn't intimidate you, it's usually because it's something we can handle. But I want you to think about this. God always leads us into the impossible because that's the only place where he gets glory. But when you and I are living for the glory of God, we're going to be living and walking in places, doing things that are beyond our reach, beyond our ability, beyond our strength, because only there does he get the credit. Only there does he get the glory. If we do it in our own strength, we'll say, look what I did. But if we do it in his strength, then we'll have to say, look what the Lord did. And those areas of life are intimidating to us. They are scary to us. But we have to be bold enough to face those challenges and to take them on uh, for the glory of God. So if there's anything new in your life that God is bringing you up to, I want you to just know, however intimidating, however scary it may be, God is going to give you the victory because he's already given you the Holy Spirit. He's already given you Jesus. Amen, somebody, in order to bring that about in your life. Now, let's look at Caleb for a moment. Caleb was one of the 12 spies who worked for Moses. They went into the promised land while the people of Israel were still in the wilderness, and of the 12 spies, I'm going to test your Bible knowledge here real quick. How many of them brought back a bad report? Ten spies brought back a bad report. Sorry, I didn't bring any candy for you guys tonight uh, or stickers. So you just have to take my congratulations as your prize. Uh, ten spies came back and brought a negative report. They said, can't be done. No way, Jose. If we go in there, we're going to be eaten alive. Caleb was one of the two people who said, yes, we can. God has given us this land. God has given us the victory. 
Caleb era uno de los dos espías que entraron a la tierra prometida durante los días de uh, Moisés. Entre los dos espías, solamente dos de ellos trajeron un buen reporte. Y estos dos hombres eran Josué y Caleb. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. Joshua gets all the attention. Right? There's a whole book in the Bible written about Joshua. But nothing really, a whole, not a whole lot is written about Caleb. But Caleb was part of that dynamic duo that God used to leave a remnant for his people to get into the promised land. And when those ten spies came back, the Bible said they discouraged the people and they caused their hearts to melt. Dice la escritura que cuando los diez uh, espías hablaron, estos espías uh, uh, trajeron temor al pueblo y causaron que su corazón desmayase, que su corazón se derritiera de temor. Entonces el pueblo rehusó entrar. So the people refused to go in. But you notice there that Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. Caleb y Josué tenían un espíritu diferente. And they had a, a perspective that was higher and different than the perspective of the other ten. And tonight, God is looking to cultivate in each one of you a different spirit. Now, there's a few people in the Bible that the Bible uses this term about. One of them was Joseph, who the Bible describes as having a different spirit. Another of them was Daniel, uh, who the Bible describes as having a different spirit. What is the Bible talking about, these men? It's talking about people who have a, a spirit that is not of the world, not of the flesh, and not of the, the age. But they have in them a spirit of faith. Uh, el espíritu diferente que vemos en Caleb, también lo vimos en José, lo vemos en Daniel, que la escritura dice, este hombre tenía un espíritu diferente. Y Dios quiere cultivar en cada uno de nuestros corazones una, un espíritu diferente, que significa que tenemos un espíritu de fe. Now, I want you to notice this. A, a different spirit doesn't mean you're the macho male. All right? It doesn't mean that you're the, the type A personality. It doesn't mean that you're the person who is the most outgoing. A different spirit means that you see what God sees. That you hear what God hears. That you are open to the work of God in your life. And these men were different because they walked to the beat of a different drummer. They walk to the beat of a divine voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, leading, guiding, determining their life. And tonight, if you want to be able to conquer mountains in your life, I just want you to know you've got to cultivate this different spirit. You've got to walk with the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit. Be, be in tune with what he is saying for your life because he's the one who knows the will of God. He's the one that knows the mind of God. And he's the one that can give you good success. And tonight, uh, if you don't, if you don't uh, know what I'm talking about, I just really basically mean this. That a different spirit means you don't think the way the world thinks. And how does the world think? The world thinks by what it sees with its natural eye. It goes by what it hears with its natural ear. It goes by what it can imagine or think in its mind. A different spirit is the spirit of God that says, it, I think above the thoughts of the world. I think above the mind of the world, the mind or the spirit of the age. 
And Caleb walked in that kind of spirit. He had a difference in him. And every person in here has a difference in them. If you are a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, you have a difference in you. Say amen. And that difference is able to set you above and to set you apart. So whenever you get the job that other people were more qualified to get, but you got the job, don't say, ha ha, look at me. You got to know there's a different spirit inside of you. Say amen, somebody. There's something else, something bigger than me going on here. I want you to notice with me some things about Caleb. That Caleb, the name Caleb means dog. All right? Now, I don't think that uh, that that's exactly the name you would want to give your children, right? So be careful when you choose children's names uh, by what they mean. But the name Caleb means dog. And uh, this just implies to us or it reminds us of something that Caleb had to overcome some of the labels that were placed on him in his life. He had to overcome that name and uh, was going to have to deal with that for the duration of his life. But it doesn't seem by reading of the scripture that he ever let it determine what he was going to be. And a lot of you tonight might be thinking about labels that somebody put on you. Names or words that somebody spoke over your life that have defined the way you think about yourself and the way that you see yourself. El nombre Caleb significa perro. Y eso nos da a entender que sobre Caleb se había puesto un nombre que no era muy bueno. Y igual a nosotros, a veces tenemos nombres o tenemos uh, palabras que personas han puesto sobre nosotros que han comenzado a definir nuestra vida. Y hemos comenzado a vernos como ese nombre o vernos como esa uh, es, esa palabra. And, you know, many people have different names, many labels that they walk under. Some people walk under the label of rejection or the label of abuse or the label, label of addict or the label of broken. Or they walk under the label of I'm a Mexican or I'm poor or I'm broke or uh, my family never gets ahead. And you walk under these labels that begin to define the, the course of your life. Can I just tell you there's a, a label, the only label, the only name that matters is the name that God himself has given you. Say amen, somebody. And the name that God has given you is greater than all the other labels. It undoes all those other labels. So if someone ever told you you were dumb or that you were a nobody or that you were never going to amount to anything or somebody told you you were sick, or that you were broken, or that you were uh, that you were a, 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 a reject, you were a reject, or somebody ever told you that you were a nobody. Let me just tell you, God has spoken a new name over you. He has spoken a a, a name that He calls you son. Say son. God has called you as His child, son, and the name son. By the blood of Jesus has the power to undo all the labels that somebody may have tried to put over your life. And so when you and I walk in this life, don't walk under the title dog anymore. Don't walk under the title or the label that somebody else tried to put on you. You walk under the blood of Jesus. You are a son of the living God. 
And you know that the, 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 the power of that gives you a, a title so powerful it makes you an heir of the kingdom of God. It makes you an heir of the riches of God and the blessings of God in your life. And Caleb would have to uh, overcome the labels, but you can overcome the labels too. If you give God freedom in your life to reprogram how you think, how you talk, how you live, uh, how you see yourself, God will bring you to a place where you can see yourself as his son, as his daughter, as someone who has been specifically uh, designed by God to bring about the glory of God in their generation. Uh, the other thing we see about Caleb is that when he gets into the promised land, he begins to work toward other people possessing the things that God had promised them. But he didn't settle with just that. He had a determination to go and get everything that God had promised to him. And so Caleb not only overcame the label, but he overcame the temptation to settle. And every person in here tonight is going to have to deal with this temptation. Often on a, on a regular basis, you're going to have to deal with the temptation to settle at where you're at. And a lot of you have been settled right where you're at for a long time. All right? You know, you have a, a long journey to go with God. You can't settle. You can't stay in one place and just say, you know, this is as much and as far as I want to go. Some people, uh, they, they get converted. They come to Christ. They get saved. They get baptized, and then they settle. They say, I'm wet, I'm going to heaven, I'm settling. I don't want any more than this. Guess what? That's not why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross so you could just get baptized, sit in church for the rest of your life, and have a Christian funeral when you die. He died for a whole lot more than that. He died so that you could live your life daily to be a praise and glory to the grace of God in your life and so that your life could count for your generation so you can't just stop where you are you can't stop as far as you've come it's not the whole distance uh, Caleb no se detuvo en el lugar que él había alcanzado y muchos se detienen en la área de madurez que han alcanzado dicen ya esto es suficiente para mí I want you to have a mentality that's always willing to stretch to the new level, to a new place, to say there is more where, where God can do more in my life. There is more that God wants to do in my ministry. There's more than what God wants to do in my finances. There's more that God wants to do in my relationships. There's more that God wants to do with my mind. And when you and I cultivate that, we are walking in lockstep with God who said, I'll take you from glory to glory. So somebody say, there's more. Now, do you really believe that? Then go for it. Don't settle right there where you are. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't do that. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that God has set up a, a sign that says no parking. All right? That, that sign basically says you can't stop growing. You've got to keep moving, keep growing, keep going forward. And if you decide, this is as far as I want to go, God will let you sit there. God will let you live on that level. But if you decide, I want to go the whole way, then God will help you to do that 
as well. The next thing we notice about Caleb is that Caleb was a man of commitment. How many of you are committed? All right, now that's, a, that's easy to say and hard to do, right? There's a big difference between being interested and being committed or being a participant and being committed. It's like the, the chicken that was really excited about breakfast. And she was just going on and on about how awesome breakfast was. And, and she noticed that the pig was not very happy about breakfast. And she went up to the pig and said, why aren't you excited about breakfast? She, he said, because you are going to contribute uh, some eggs to breakfast, but I am going to be breakfast. And you realize he was more committed to this breakfast than she was. There are levels of Christian commitment that will cost you all the bacon. Nobody said amen. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. There's a cost to following Jesus. There's a, a, a cost to following Christ. A cost in discipleship. Hay un costo, un compromiso que se hace cuando usted y yo decidimos seguir a Jesús. And, and tonight, I'm just here to remind you that you haven't made a commitment with Pastor Isaac. And you haven't made a commitment with Kingsway Church. You have made a commitment to follow Jesus. And Jesus is the one we have to answer to. Jesus is the one who's looking for us to be all in. Sold out completely to him. Cristo es el que, con el cual hemos hecho este compromiso y él busca personas que estén todo adentro, completamente dedicados, vendidos a este propósito. I remember when I was nine years old, I was sitting in my, uh, in my bedroom and I was talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, I hear people say that, you know, their mama got sick and then they went to church and they said, Lord, if you heal my mama... I will serve you all my life. And here I am at nine, and I'm telling the Lord this. I said, Lord, I'm just going to tell you now, with no strings attached, I will serve you all my life. My whole life's going to belong to you. And you know how many times the Lord has reminded me of that? When I have said, Lord, why didn't you allow this to happen? Why didn't you give me what I want? He said, Isaac, you belong to me. Your whole life belongs to me. And what I was doing then was just saying, God, I'm not going to bargain with you when times get tough. And I'm not going to hold back my commitment so that I can, I can bargain with you when things get rough in my life. But God is looking for somebody that says, it's, I'm all in. I'm totally committed. Sold out. I have nothing left but Jesus. And when you've made that kind of commitment, friend, there is so much power that God brings into your life. There are doors that open you never imagined would open when you make that total commitment of your life to the work and the plan of God. Commitment is like Caesar burning all the ships when he landed to say, we're not going back. Commitment is, is uh, Sam Houston going into the island of San Jacinto and uh, attacking the, the Mexican army and burning the bridge so that he couldn't leave and neither could the army. 
And that's what we're talking about when we say commitment. You say, I'm burning every connection to the way I used to do things, to the gods I used to trust in, to the way I used to hope, and I want to commit entirely to God. Commitment means we're not half-hearted. We're whole-hearted. And that's what the name Caleb has come to be known as. The new definition of the name Caleb is wholehearted. Say wholehearted. Think about that. This man was so committed to God that he changed the, the label from dog to wholehearted. He went from, from having a label that was negative to being set up as an example of someone that wholeheartedly believes God. The Bible says this, that no one who is double-minded should expect to receive anything from God. That verse scares me every time I read it. Because you realize God is saying very clearly, if you're double-minded, half-hearted, don't expect anything from me. But Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't seem fair. You know, if I give you half, you should give me half. God says, no, it's all or nothing with me. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There are about three amens right there. I'm going to say it again. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord. We said Sunday that means that you acknowledge that he is in control and that he owns you. He's Lord of everything. And so God says, if you're going to be double-minded, if you're going to come back and forth, I'll serve the Lord, I won't serve the Lord. I'll, I'll be in ministry, I won't be in ministry. I'll commit to my wife, I won't commit to my wife. God says, I can't give you victory. The only way I can give you victory is if you say, God, I'm all in, 100%, holding nothing back. If I sink, I'm sinking with Jesus. And if I, if I sail, I'm sailing with Jesus. But whatever I'm doing it, I'm doing it with Jesus. Come on, somebody. You have made a commitment, a whole commitment. Another way the Bible describes this is by saying that we cannot be uh, lukewarm. We need to be either hot or cold. We can't be weak-willed, having a weakness in our will toward our commitment to God. God wants a full, wholehearted commitment to him. Now, uh, this is so clear in Caleb's life that when you read these verses, it's extraordinary. Now, first of all, in verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. What kind of commitment did he have to God? It was a full commitment. To walk with the Lord. He said I have walked with God fully. Now it's one thing for a man to say I have walked with God fully. Uh, but it is another thing for God to say you have walked with me fully. And yet what did we read in Numbers 14.24? The Lord said about Caleb he has walked with me fully. Completely. Now. I want you to just be aware of this, be challenged by this tonight. God is looking for people who will walk with him fully, completely, who will, uh, who will give their all to him. Caleb says, I've done everything God asked me to do. I have given my whole obedience to God. And listen, that doesn't mean you do it perfectly. 
That doesn't mean you never mess up. You never fall short. That doesn't mean you don't trip along the way. But here's what it means. When you fail, when you trip, when you mess up, you get up and you keep walking toward the Lord. You seek repentance, you seek forgiveness, and you keep walking toward the Lord. And you give him all that you have in every moment. You get up and you continue walking toward the goal. The Apostle Paul said this, I have not obtained everything, but I press on toward the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, nobody has it all yet. But what can we do? We can get up and keep going. So, well, pastor, I messed up. Well, pastor, some people hurt me. Well, pastor, I don't have the resources. Well, pastor, I don't know if I can. God says you can, so get up and go forward. Take that bold uh, faith of confidence uh, in obedience to God. God says, when you give me your all, I know that your all is not enough. Listen, this is what he told Paul. He said, my strength is perfected in your weakness. So when you give God your all, he's not surprised by the fact that it wasn't enough. He knows I'm not enough. He knows I'm weak. He knows I'm broken. He knows our past. He knows our failures. This is what he says. You give me all of that. My strength is going to be perfected in your weakness. And then you'll be able to say, when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's in that place where I have come to terms with who I am and given that completely over to God that God is able to glorify himself. Now we see that he had a commitment to God, but also he had confidence in God. Look at what he says there in verse 6. You know the word which the Lord God spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Caleb was confident because he knew what God had said over his life. Listen, are you confident tonight? Do you have confidence tonight? What's your confidence based on? The word of the Lord. What did Joshua say? You know the word that God spoke concerning my life. Has God ever spoken a word about your life? Has God said anything about you? Say amen, somebody. Because I know he's ha he has. And... Every one of those words is given by a God who cannot lie. A God who doesn't change his mind. A God whose promises are true, whose promises are yes and amen. And when you take him at his word, he says, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. So you can have confidence in God. You can have confidence in the word of God. And if you've never had God speak a personal prophetic word over your life, don't panic. Don't worry. Just open your Bible to any given page and read the word of God because it is God's promise to your life. Say amen, somebody. It is God's promise upon which you can have confidence. The word God spoke. What has God said about his word? He said, I am not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should change my mind. What I have spoken, that I will also do. 
And then in another place, he said, what my mouth has spoken, my hands will perform. God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper, so let his promises embolden and give you confidence. They can embolden your life. And so what is this, the result of this word that God spoke to uh, Caleb? Well, first of all, notice that this word is a 45-year-old word. Is that an old promise? It's okay to say yes. There's some promises in the Bible older than that, all right? There's some promises that are 2,000 years old. So by that definition, 45 isn't that long. But in one man's lifetime, a 45-year-old promise is a long promise. I mean, if you tell your little boy at three years old, I'm taking you to Disneyland, and it takes 45 years to get there, that's a long promise. This promise was 45 years old, and yet it was producing faith and confidence in Caleb 45 years later. That is the enduring power of the word of God. That it is able to take you through every season of life. Persuaded that God's going to do what God said he was going to do. Now here's what I have, I, what I have learned and I hope that, uh, and I know all of you will uh, have learned and will learn eventually. Is that uh, when, when you're a young person and you get a promise, you think God's going to do this tomorrow. If, if, you're, if you're 20 years old and the Lord says, I'm going to use you, you're the next Billy Graham. You think tomorrow I'm preaching a crusade. And then it doesn't happen and you start to say, well, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I missed it. But you see, the longer you walk, the more you realize, Lord, if you do it when I'm 70, it won't matter because you're going to do what you said you would do in my life. Caleb's confidence was built on the word of God. And the word of God is ageless. The word of God is timeless. It doesn't grow old. It doesn't go, it doesn't become faded or, 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 or decrease in its strength. This word, although 45 years old, was producing the kind of confidence in Caleb that he says, uh, I am still as strong today as I was the day God spoke this promise over my life. Now, I don't know if Caleb was speaking by faith or he was speaking by reality, but whatever he was speaking, he was giving voice to the fact that God's word over his life was able to do in him at 85 what he could have done at 40. Now, I, don't, I don't think anybody in here is 85 tonight. But when you think about an 85-year-old saying, I'm as strong now as I was the day God spoke this word to my life, you hear in that an extraordinary confidence in God and the power of the word of God to produce that kind of faith in a man's life. But then he says, give me this mountain. So he's 85. He still thinks he can do it. Say, I can still do it. And then he says, give me this mountain. He says, give me the hill country. Give me this Giant infested mountain. So not only is he strong in God, but you see that Caleb's confidence is such that he can take on a big thing for God. 
Do you want to do a big thing for God? Well, what's it going to be? Do you have in your mind the, the picture of what God wants you to do for him? You can't wait until all the circumstances are right. That meant somebody. Well, yeah, I'm going to wait till I get my retirement check in order and until I get my um, kids all through college and married and with their children and until this time and that time. I'm going to wait till the economy's in the right place. God, God says in his word, if you look at the wind, you'll never sow. And there are always going to be reasons not to do something for God. There are always going to be excuses. Siempre va a haber una excusa para no hacer algo grande para Dios. Siempre va a haber una buena excusa. There's always going to be a good excuse. The Bible says in another place, a man goes outside and he says, oh, there's a cloud in the sky. It looks like it's going to rain. I can't go work. I can't sow a, a, a field. And so he never gets a harvest because the, the time is never right. But guess what? When you're walking in confidence with God, God will make the time right. God will make the things that seem like they can't work, work for you. They'll work on your behalf. He can turn something around in a moment. David, Caleb says, God is able to give me this hill country. Never mind that it's inhabited by giants, by impossibilities, by things that are bigger than myself. God is able, and he says, the Lord will help me to drive out these giants. I want you to notice the structure of this sentence in verse 12. Look at verse 12, the last part of the sentence. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Now, notice the structure of that. He says, perhaps the Lord will be with me. Say, God is with me. What does the Bible say? If God be for me, then who can be against me? So Caleb here, first of all, acknowledges a big doctrinal word here. He acknowledges the sovereignty of God. All right? If God is with me, I can. If God is for me, I can. What did Jesus say? Uh, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Implying that with him, you can do anything, everything that you need to do. And then the apostle Paul said uh, that we are able, what did he say? He said that in Christ, nothing would be impossible to you. So notice what Caleb is saying. God has to be with me. I've got to have God. God is the whole equation. But then the next sentence, what does he say? I will. Notice there then that now we see the sovereignty of God and we also see the responsibility of Caleb. God has to do his part. You have to do your part. Nobody said amen. Uh, we all want God to do his part. God God will do all the heavy lifting in my life. But he says, no, there's something you have to do. Caleb says, God will and I will. God will do what is difficult and impossible. I have to go and possess the land. I have to go and take on those giants. 
And Caleb would go and stare those giants in the kneecap and bring every one of them down. Because he had God with him, but he had to show up. Listen, there are a lot of people wanting God to do things that they're not showing up for. Don't get quiet on me now. You've got to show up. You've got to be there because God is looking for a man. He's looking for a woman through whom he can work, through whom he can do these extraordinary works that he wants to do in the last days. But he's looking for a man that will say, God will do his part. I will do my part. I will show up and be uh, available to what God wants to do in my life. Caleb Therefore, has this confidence built on the word of God, and it's a confidence built on the presence of God. God is with me, and I can do what I need to do. Now, that's the kind of confidence that brings success. If you have the kind of confidence that says, I can do it, I don't need anybody's help, nobody can do it as good as me, and all of that self-reliance is going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to failure every single time. But God's confidence. God-reliance leads to you and I being active in obedience to God so that we have a confidence in what God has said and a confidence in the presence of God uh, uh, enabling us to do the work that God has given to us to do. What has God said to you? What has God said over your life? Be be bold in that um, uh, truth. Be bold in the confidence that you have. In that, let me just remind you for a moment what God has said over your life. He said, I will bless you in the city, and I will bless you in the country. I will bless your offspring. Your, I will bless your basket and your kneading bowl. Uh, what is that, Pastor? That means I will bless you with tortillas all the time. I will bless you when you come in, and I will bless you when you go out. What does that mean, Pastor? That means when you go to war, you're going to come back from war. They're not going to bring you back dead or in a box. You're going to come back with the, the spoils of war. Say amen, somebody. God says, I will cause your enemies who come against you to be defeated in front of you. And they will come against you one way. And they will flee from you seven ways. That's God's word over your life. And then in another place, he says, I will give to you, I will give to my beloved, even in their sleep. And then he says, I will take every kind of sickness away from among you. And then he says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory. God has given us more than 8,000 promises in the word of God. You can have confidence in God. The kind of confidence that says, I'm as strong today as the day that Jesus saved me, as the day that Jesus promised this word to my heart, and I can see God do this work, this miracle in my life. Now we notice Caleb's prayer. Caleb knew how to pray. Caleb comes to God and he says, give me this mountain. Have you ever been guilty of praying small prayers? Well, I think we do that because we think that it won't embarrass God if, if, we, if it's just a little thing. God can do small things and big things just the same. 
I want to encourage you to pray prayers as big as God. If you knew some of the things I'm asking for, you would say, Pastor, why are you asking for that? We don't even need that yet. But you see, we have to be praying for the season God's taking us to. We have to be praying for the, the next level of what God wants to do in your life. And so we can pray little prayers or we can pray prayers that are only God can answer. And God is big enough to do all of that. And God can do those extraordinary things in the life of those who will be confident uh, in his word and trust him as well as be willing to take the step of action in the direction of what God wants to do in their life. Pray big prayers. Give me this mountain. He doesn't say, give me an acre or give me 10 acres or give me one giant. He says, give me the whole mountain. If, if God can give you the whole mountain, why pray for just one acre? Why ask for just one thing? When he can do the extraordinary things. What does the Bible say? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. When uh, I heard the story of, of Dr. Schaefer in uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, they reached a point at the seminary where they couldn't pay their professors. They were three months behind on payroll. And they were in real financial trouble. And so Dr. Schaefer had a some people in his office, he said, let's, let's get together and pray. And he prayed, and this was his prayer. He said, Lord, the Bible says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, so I need you to sell some of them and bring me the money. And just when he said that, someone knocked on the door, and it was his secretary, and she said, uh, Brother Schaefer, they have just, uh, there's a man here who wants to talk to you, just walked in, and uh, he said that he had, several train car loads full of cattle, and he sold them, and he wants to bring you the money. Well, you're not, you're not happy about that because they weren't your cows, and they weren't, it wasn't your seminary. But if it was your house I was talking about, you'd be, you'd be grabbing the mic. Pastor, I've got a testimony. Well, I want you to have a testimony. But you know what brings the answer to that prayer? One, they knew the word of God, and none, they knew the God who wrote that word, and they trusted him, and they asked for what he could do. And God wants us to believe him on that level, to trust in him on that level, the level that is beyond our ability, beyond our strength, even beyond our own experience. God is a big God, so ask for big things. And then be willing to take big steps of faith to see God do what he said he would do in your life. Now, I'm going to close with this because this is the part we don't really enjoy talking about, but it's just as important as all the rest. Caleb had to go through the struggle. You and I, we're going to take a mountain, we're going to have to go through the struggle. You're going to have to fight for the mountain. Now you got to ask yourself, is the mountain I'm after worth fighting for? Is it worth fighting for? 
If it's worth fighting for, then you, it's worth your whole commitment. It's worth your whole effort to be able to win the prize. But there's always a struggle. You see, because there's an enemy opposed to the will of God in your life. You know that, don't you? Don't, don't forget that fact. There's an enemy opposed to the will of God in your life. But he's defeated already. He's been conquered at the cross. And he has been defeated by Christ. But you are going to have to face that enemy. The victory already belongs to you. The victory already has been guaranteed by Christ to you. But you're going to have to be the one to go forward in the fight. And fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the world of darkness. There is a fight going on. There is a wrestling match that's going on in the spiritual realm. And if you're not fighting the fight, you're getting whooped. You got to wake up with your arms swinging. And don't stop fighting throughout the whole day. I don't mean fight your husband or your wife or your children or your boss because your fight is not with them. It's not a flesh and blood fight. If it were a flesh and blood fight, some of us would win, some of us would lose. All right, this fight is spiritual. If you want to win a spiritual fight, you got to get in the spirit. We wrestle not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. But the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. Look at some of the giants that the people of Israel had to face. One of the giants was uh, the giant called Sheshai, which wanted to deny them their birthright. Another giant they had to face was Hamin, which was a giant who was designed to steal the fruit of their harvest. Another giant, Talmin, was a giant who would keep their harvest. Another giant was Og, who was a giant who was a, 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 a spirit of apathy. Then you have Pharaoh, a spirit of bondage. Goliath, a spirit of intimidation. Jezebel, a spirit of sexual perversion and manipulation. Absalom, a demon that brought division to families. Herod, the one who tried to stop the plan of God. Every one of these giants was defeated by the God of Israel and was defeated by Christ at the cross. But when you have to face them, don't be intimidated by them. Don't run away from them. Stand in the confidence that you have in God. And and just like Caleb went into those mountains and drove out those giants, God's giving you victory so that you can drive out the giants that are standing in your way. He took the word of God and he took the promise of God on his life and he pursued the will of God for his life. God has given you his word so that you can do his will. Would you stand with me tonight?
Is there a giant in your promised land? Is there a mountain God has given you to possess? Tonight, I want us to join together in faith and in confidence. God, Why did God lead me here? Why did God bring me to this impossible place? Why did God allow this to happen? I'll tell you why. Because he wants to get glory out of your life. And so I want you just to raise your hands, and I want you to begin to take authority in the name of Jesus. Stand in the confidence which God has given you, the promises of God in his word. Stand on that promise tonight. That giant has to fall in the name of Jesus. It is illegal for that enemy, for that giant to remain in the land that God has deeded to you and to your children and to your family. But you're going to have to take the fight by faith. Be encouraged tonight. Our God doesn't know how to lose. He is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ask or even imagine. So come on and just activate your faith tonight. Begin to pray. Open your mouth and be bold. Ask God for that mountain. Ask God for that mountain-moving faith to rise up in your heart. Lord, right now I pray for clarity in the minds of your children who have lost sight of the dream and the vision that you have for their life. I pray right now that a clear insight would be given to them by the Holy Spirit. That they would see that there are greater works yet to be done. That they cannot settle. That this place where they are is not it. That there is more. And there is greater works. Father, we lay claim to them in the name of Jesus. We will go from glory to glory. We will walk from faith to faith. And we will see God do great things in our lives, in our families, in our ministry. No word of God is able to fail. We stand on your word tonight. We stand in the confidence which we have that you are a God who cannot lie. That you have spoken and you will do what you have spoken. Give us now the courage to face the intimidation and the fear of the enemy. And to declare the word of the Lord. And to lay claim to every single square inch of the promised land which you have given to us. We receive that kind of faith right now in the name of Jesus. We receive fresh vision. Fresh insight. We pray, oh God, right now we receive fresh resources, fresh strength, because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Come on, just lift your voice to God tonight. Let the weak say, I am strong. You are strong. You're stronger than you think you are. You have more power than you think you have. Because God is with you. And God is for you. Nothing whatsoever will be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. Nothing will be able to stand against you 
all of the days of your life.